Life's defining moments, Isaiah chapter 6. As you're finding your place in your copy of God's Word, a few housekeeping matters. Folks, hasn't it been a, a great week with Dennis Nunn? Every believer a witness. I want to commend you for your attendance all week long. Uh, it was pretty phenomenal to come in here each night and, and see the place full. And uh, keep in mind the things that uh, Dennis has reminded us of uh, this week. I think one of the more important things he said to us all week, maybe on the last night, that uh, only when we're emptied of self can we be filled with the Spirit. And when we're filled with the Spirit, what did Jesus say we would be? We'd be witnesses. If we're not witnesses, guess what that's indicative of? We're not filled with the Spirit because the Spirit, what Jesus say the Spirit would do, would magnify Him, right? And so if we're filled with the Spirit, we're going to magnify Jesus. So we need to keep that in mind and also continue to remember or working on your story. It's been so encouraging this week, some of the emails and messages I've got of how some of you continued through the week in different scenarios to share your story and the results you've seen out of that. So uh, keep working on that. My life before coming to know Jesus. How I came to know Jesus. My life since. Keep working on that and, and practicing that. And get it to where you can share it with somebody. Just as you're going about in life. Uh, a lot of times we don't have uh, moments to sit down with somebody and maybe go through everything in a 30-minute presentation. And so we need to be able to know how to share our story, our testimony, the way Paul did in Acts chapter 6 of how we came to know Christ. So you continue working on that and keep those stories coming. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Father, we're so grateful for your claim upon our lives. Lord, we've been challenged this week to get outside of our comfort zones and live for you, for your purposes. 
Lord, help us to get a fresh glimpse of your glory and what it is that you've called us to do. And like Isaiah, that we would say, Lord, here am I. Send me. We thank you for this body of believers. And it's no accident where you've placed us. It's no accident that people that each of us will rub shoulders with this week. God, help us to be ambassadors for Christ. To not live each day as though that day belonged to us. But in recognition that life is a gift from you. There's no higher calling than living for Jesus and serving Jesus. Thank you for cleansing us, for adopting us into your family, whereby we can cry out, Abba, Father, and we can know you and have peace with you. And as the scripture says, let those who know you always be willing to give a defense of the hope that they have within them. Lord, it's a dark world out there. Help us in these days to shine brighter than we ever have before as we allow your love to be reflected in and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Writer Dr. Larry Crabb recalls an eventful moment that literally changed and altered the rest of his life. He entered fifth grade and as he entered fifth grade he met his new teacher, his teacher by the name of Mr. Herb. Now Mr. Herb was fresh out of college and he had decided that he was going to be the best fifth grade teacher the world had ever seen. I mean he was going to set teaching on fire. Mr. Herb had a unique ability of trying to see the potential in every child and draw out that potential. Larry Crabb said one day as they had gotten up to the time of the afternoon recess and, and class was being dismissed to go out on the playground, Mr. Herb said, Larry, I need you to stay behind for a moment. I want to talk to you. Larry said it scared him to death. He wondered how in month into school he thought he'd done everything right. He thought he was a good student and well behaved. And he wondered why he was specifically being called out. Of course he thought he was going to be punished. And he went up to Mr. Herb and Mr. Herb said, Larry, I've noticed something about you. You seem to have a great way with words. Larry, I see you knew the potential of somebody who could be a great writer one day. He said, I want to challenge you to, to, to take a new assignment to each and every day. Go, uh, go into the dictionary and find a word that you don't know. And learn what that word means and the different ways that word is used. And he said, then I want you to write something small just a paragraph, some creative statement using that word in that paragraph. 
Larry said that was absolutely revolutionary in his life. It developed in him a love for writing, a love for language. He said, little did I know that those assignments would prepare me for a a life, a, a, a distinguished career of being a writer, an author. It was a defining moment in his life. Folks, as we come to Isaiah chapter 6 this morning, we see that this passage records for us what was to be the defining point of Isaiah's life. Isaiah would never again be the same after this event. Now this past week, Dennis Nunn has challenged us to never be the same as far as our witness and service to the Lord. He's challenged us to get outside of our comfort zone and be used of God. What's it going to take? It'll take a defining moment characterized by things I want us to look at this morning. The first thing I want you to see, if we're going to be everything God's called us to be, number one, we need to have a biblical view of God. Read with me again in verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Folks, these were days of uncertainty for Isaiah and for the people of Israel and Judah. We read here of the year that King Uzziah died. Now you can read more about King Uzziah in the book of 2 Kings and also in the book of 2 Chronicles. His name was also Azariah. He was a very capable leader and in 2 Kings 15.3 we're told that for the most part he did what was right in God's sight. You read about him in scripture and you see that he reigned for 52 years. He was the second longest reigning king of Judah. Manasseh was the only king who reigned longer than Uzziah. Manasseh was a very wicked man and he reigned for 55 years. Uzziah was a a mostly godly man. He reigned for 52 years. And during his reign, we find out in the scripture that he was a very gifted military leader and a very gifted soldier. Judah did very well militarily under him. In fact, they even developed some new military technologies under Uzziah. He also had a love of the land and so he helped develop a a lot of resources in the land and agriculture so they could get the most out of everything that they did. It seemed like whether it was militarily or economically or having to do with the everyday common man and his work, Uzziah was such a well-rounded leader and he led the people in such wonderful ways and God gave him a long and a prosperous reign. Now I don't want you to get the impression that everything was right in the land. The people were complacent because Sin was still in the land. They had left some of the high places of idolatry. And Uzziah had not dealt with those. And I guess that was the thorn in the flesh of of his reign that he had not completely devoted his heart to the Lord in removing the land of all of the high places. 
But you know, the people really didn't seem to care about that. They didn't seem to care about some of the sin and complacency in the land. You know why? Because they're like a lot of Americans today on both sides of the political aisles. That if our pocketbooks are in good shape, we don't really concern ourselves with what's going on in society. And that's what they were doing in Judah. Economically, they were doing pretty well. Their pocketbooks were full. Their purses were full. They were, they were doing everything they needed to do in life. And, and, and they had all the things that they wanted in life. And so guess what? When it came to a lot of the sin in the land, they became very complacent. But again, God's verdict of Uzziah was mostly good. And then we see the unthinkable happen. All of this went to Uzziah's head. He became proud. And one day he decided he was not only going to be the king, but he was going to act as the high priest as well. And so he took a censer, went into the temple and and went up to the altar and he was going to burn incense on the altar. Now the king was forbidden from doing that. But he was going to do it anyway. And as he went into the temple to do that, the high priest along with 80 other priests tried to stop him. But they couldn't because after all he was the king and he felt like he could do anything he wanted. So he kind of pushed forward to do this. And when God saw that Uzziah wasn't going to stop, you know what God did? God struck him with leprosy right there on the spot. And when he saw that he was a leper and the high priest and the other priest saw that he was a leper, they grabbed him up, they got him out of the temple real fast and for the rest of his life he had to live in separated quarters. He couldn't mingle among society members because he was unclean and his son Jotham became co-regent with him and Jotham took on a lot of the public duties while Uzziah took on a lot of the private duties of king. Well, now after 52 years of being in charge, he's dead. And folks, as a nation, you can kind of imagine how everybody felt. They had gone through king after king. They'd have a good king, then a wicked king. Good king, wicked king. I mean, just read some of the history of Israel and Judah, and it'll blow your mind. A, A godly dad would have an ungodly son. An ungodly son would have a godly son. And and I mean, they just went back and forth. They'd been through all this chain of kings. Some of them would only maybe serve two months or six months before being assassinated. One grandmother killed all of her grandsons and all the male members of her family because she wanted to sit on the throne and she didn't want any rivals. And so the high priest took one of her grandsons who was only one year of age and took him off and and the high priest and his wife hid this boy away in the temple and then presented him as king when he turned seven years old. Could you imagine a grandmother killing off all of her grandsons so nobody would be a rival to her as she sat on the throne? That's the type of climate that they had grown accustomed to. But now they've had a relatively good 52 years. That's a long time, but now this king is dead. You know, some events just seem to define us. Last week, America remembered back to 9-11. 9-11 will forever be one of the defining moments of America. 
Here was Isaiah in the temple in the year that King Uzziah died. I wonder if he's praying in desperation. Now we're not told, but I can imagine God's prophet in the temple at the altar was weeping before God. He was on his face before God. There's so much uncertainty in the land. And what is it in these days of uncertainty that Isaiah was shown? Isaiah was shown that while the earthly king was dead, The sovereign king of the universe was still very much alive. He's on his throne. The human king may be dead, but the heavenly king is still very much alive. The mortal king is dead, but the one who reigns in immortality is very much alive and he's very much in charge. You may remember decades ago when the Russian cosmonauts made their journey around the earth for the first time. They came back saying, we've been all around the globe. We've been out in space looking back at the earth. And you remember what those cosmonauts said? They said, you know what we didn't see? We didn't see God. W.A. Criswell, pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas at the time, said, I tell you what, had they unzipped them space suits and stepped out of them, they'd seen God. (laughs) In these days of uncertainty, Isaiah saw God. I want to ask you this morning, is there uncertainty in your life? What's uncertainty calls us to do? It causes us restless nights, doesn't it? We pace the floors, we wring our hands, some people develop ulcers. Restlessness or, or uncertainty rather just gets us all torn up inside. We worry about tomorrow. We worry about the economy. We worry about our kids. We worry about our grandkids. We wonder about the corruption in society around us. And we worry about that. And so we go to bed at night and we make sure all the outside lights are on maybe. And all the doors are locked up. And we try to keep our family safe. We live in such an uncertain world. I'll never forget a period of uncertainty in our lives as a family. Our kids were small. Brian, Brian wasn't even talking yet. Or not saying much, I guess, other than mama or daddy. And we were over at some friend's house. And you know how adults will do, like when you have a cookout or something. You kind of get in your own little world talking. The kids are off playing. And, and everything just kind of seems fine. You're not expecting anything. Well, the kids were playing in the house. And the way their house was designed, the, the great room, the kitchen, the living room, all that. There was a big, there, there was almost like a skating rink circle in the house just divided by this interior wall. And Brian gets a hold of some of these little Fisher-Price skates that have the locking wheels they'll only go forwards you know they they won't they won't let the skate go back and and so he puts on those and he's skating around he's having a ball and the older kids they're running and playing and of course we were busy talking you know like again parents will do sometimes we weren't watching what all was going on all of a sudden we hear this crying and screaming and and they come and get us and say Brian's hurt and what happened is he was coming around that blind corner and the older kids hit him like a linebacker hitting a run back and he was holding his leg down low and he was crying and we console him. We go home that night. He gets a bath, pajamas on, put him in bed. Everything seems to be fine. Next day, everything seems to be fine. I think about 36 or 48 hours went by. 
And all of a sudden he's screaming and crying again, holding his leg, just unconsolable. And then, you know, as a parent you feel about this tall that you didn't do something bad. But you thought everything was okay after they got over that initial injury. Well, we took him to the doctor. They x-rayed things and said, guess what? Legs broke. They'd been broke all this time. I mean, you really do feel small. Doctor said, and I need to do some further tests. And we're kind of like, what? I'm not sure I like, don't like what I say. What do you say? Well, you know, let's just schedule him for an MRI at the hospital or a CAT scan at the hospital, run die through him and, and all that. And you're kind of like, doctor, no, no, you've done raised the question now. What's going on? What is it that you think you, well, I just don't, don't like something. Well, what do you don't like? Well, you know, what are you thinking it could be? Well, might be bone cancer. Might be a tumor. And then you know what doctors and nurses so often do next, right? We're scheduling you a time at the hospital uh, two weeks from tomorrow. Why do they do that? And we're just on pins and needles. We're in agony, you know, until you finally find out that everything's okay. In our times of uncertainty and restlessness and changes of circumstances around us, folks, what do we need to see? We need to see that God is still on His throne. Today we live in a day where evil is called good and good is called evil. And so many people mock God. And the Bible says God will not be mocked. God is still very much on His throne. What's it mean for God to be on His throne? He's sovereign. He's in charge. Folks, as we look at our world today, we need to understand that God is still in charge. Now, is God the author of sin and unbelief? No, absolutely not. But is God using everything to propel His purposes forward? Yes. Don't forget, God even used Judas. Was Judas a surprise to God? No. Jesus said, I've chosen you to be my servants and be my followers, and yet one of you is a devil. Judas wasn't a surprise. God knew all about Judas. As as the speeches, the sermons in the book of Acts point out, Judas was responsible for his own unbelief. And how he betrayed the Lord Jesus. And yet God factored all of that into his plan. And even used that betrayal of Judas to further his purposes. Folks, we need to see that God has not given up one ounce of his sovereignty. And he never will. On the morning of Abraham Lincoln's death, a crowd of 50,000 gathered before the exchange building in New York. Emotions were running high. James Garfield, who would later be president and himself would be assassinated too, stepped to the front of the balcony, cried out, fellow citizens, clouds of darkness are round about him. His pavilion is dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. Justice and judgment are the establishment of His throne. Mercy and truth go before His face. Fellow citizens, our God reigns. What did Isaiah see? He saw the seraphim crying out. About the holiness of God. Who were the seraphim? They were a special order of angelic creatures. Flaming serpent-like creatures. And as they're flying around. 
crying out. What are they crying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. I want you to notice they were not crying out. Loving, loving, loving is the Lord God Almighty. Is God loving? Yes. 1 John 4, 8 says God is love. They were not crying out, merciful, merciful, merciful is the Lord God Almighty. Is God merciful? Yes, indeed. But what were they crying out? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holiness seems to be that attribute that best characterizes God. A.W. Tozer says God is holy with an absolute holiness that knows no degrees. And His holiness is the grounds of our worship. And what did Isaiah feel? He felt the foundation shake. I guess it was kind of like an earthquake maybe. We don't know but there was some kind of shaking going on and the house was filled with smoke. This whole scene was meant to convey to God's prophet that he was in the presence of the sovereign God of the universe. And folks, it is a reminder to us that through all the ups and downs of life, there is one hymn that can be on our lips. Have faith in God. He's on his throne. Have faith in God. He watches over his own. He cannot fail. He must prevail. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. I remember something about that hymn written by B.B. McKinney. B.B. McKinney was going to a music conference up at Black Mountain, North Carolina, up at Ridgecrest. And in his automobile going to that music conference, B.B. McKinney was tragically killed in an automobile accident. And at his funeral in the visitation line, his pastor came by his widow and he said, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. B.B. McKinney's uh, widow looked in the eyes of her pastor and she said, Pastor, I want you to remember something. Have faith in God. He's on His throne. Have faith in God. He watches over His own. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. He cannot prevail. I mean, He cannot fail. He must prevail. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. She quoted her husband's hymn. That's what we need to do in times of uncertainty. We need need to have a biblical view of God and see that whatever is going on around us, whatever we're dealing with in our lives, guess what? God is sovereign and He's still on His throne. And there's nothing that comes into our lives that hasn't first of all been sifted through His loving hand. A second thing we need to see, an honest look at ourselves. Look at verses 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. First of all, let me back up to verse 5. I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. 
If you were to go back into chapter 5, you would see Isaiah condemning people around him with a series of woes. Chapter 5 verse 8, he says, Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field, till there is no place where they may dwell alone in the midst of the land. Verse 11, Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may follow intoxicating drink, who continue until night till wine inflames them. Verse 18, Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of vanity. Verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So up till now, What's Isaiah been doing? He's been looking at this group of people and saying, Whoa, and this group of people and saying, Whoa, this group of people and saying, Whoa, woe to this man over here, woe to this lady over here, woe to all everybody around me. But when Isaiah got a fresh glimpse of the glory of God, all of a sudden the searchlight turned in on him. He saw his own sin, and what did he say? Woe is me. It's not my father, not my mother, not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. When Isaiah saw God in his holiness, he saw himself in his hellishness. You'll never see yourself for what you really are until you see God for who he really is. People all the time think they're pretty good because they're comparing themselves to one another. But folks, when we put ourselves up next to Jesus Christ, we all have to cry out, woe is me. There's actually three people seated in your seat today. There's the person that you hope that you are. There's the person that others think that you are. And there's the person that God knows. That you are. I heard of a king who was on board an ancient ship. Back in the days when they would put slaves down in the belly of the ship or prisoners and, and, and they would row the oars on the ship. Uh, they would put prisoners down there. It was kind of like, I guess, the equivalent of our modern day chain gang. And they would, they would bind them, they would shackle them to the oars. And the king walks down there in, in, the, in the belly of the ship and he begins talking to them, to, the, to those prisoners. And he decides to go one by one. He says, sir, why are you down here? Why are you a prisoner? What have you been arrested for? Oh, king, it wasn't me. I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time and they arrested me. I'm innocent. Move on to the next. Why are you down here? Oh, mistaken identity. I look like somebody who committed the crime. I'm not guilty. I didn't do it. One after another, each one told the king why he was innocent and didn't deserve to be there. He was a victim. Finally, he came to the last man and said, Sir, why are you here? And that man said, King, I deserve to be here. I've committed crimes against humanity, committed crimes against the state. I've sinned against God. I'm only getting the punishment that I deserve. The king said, quick, unshackle him and set him free before the other prisoners corrupt him. (laughs) 
Like Dennis said this past week, we tend to forget who we were and what it is that God saved us from. We lose the wonder of it all. Isaiah cried out, woe is me, I'm undone. He literally thought he was going to die. Don't you get tired of hearing some of these songs or listening to people who say what they think they would do if God showed up and they saw God? Some time ago I read to you the testimony of a guy. It was out of John MacArthur's book, Charismatic Chaos. And, and he was talking about this guy who claimed that God showed up all the time in his life, would sit around, talk to him, and eat with him, and all that kind of stuff. He said one day he was in his home, and if I remember the story correctly, uh, he was in his home, he was kind of eating some popcorn and drinking a soda pop and, and watching some reruns of I Love Lucy. And God showed up in his den. Somebody said, what did God do? Well, he sat down with me and watched reruns of Lucy. Ate some popcorn, drank soda pop. God got up and left. Well, what'd you do? Went on watching reruns of I Love Lucy. You've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. People say, man, if only God would show up today. Are you sure about that? Remember in the Old Testament the people were crying out for the day of the Lord to arrive and God told His people that when the day of the Lord arrived it wasn't going to be a good thing for most people. They didn't realize what it was they were hoping for. God said it's going to be a time of purifying and judgment such as you have never, ever, ever seen before. You hear a lot of people saying today, I wish Jesus would just hurry up and come back. That'd be great for a lot of people, but you know what's going to happen to most people? Judgment. They're going to be left behind. You say, Pastor, you ought not say that. Jesus said that. Jesus said, two men will be working in a field in that day. One will be taken and one will be left. Two will be sleeping in the bed. One will be taken and one will be left. Isaiah the prophet, he saw God and what did he say? Woe is me. He believed he was going to die right there on the spot and go off into judgment. Not salvation, but judgment. You see, even though he was a servant of God to many, evidently Isaiah, it's commonly believed that Isaiah didn't really become a saved man until this event right here in chapter 6. He was a religious man, but not a saved man. You say, is that possible? You bet it's possible. I've heard of deacons getting saved. Sunday school teachers getting saved. Pastors getting saved. You say, how's that happen? I don't know, but it does happen. Maybe a mama says to her little boy, you know what you ought to grow up and be? A, a preacher. And so he's mama called, not God called. And he's a preacher, but he's lost. Or Sunday school teacher says to a little boy, you know what you need to do? You need to go to seminary and be a minister of music. He goes to seminary, becomes a minister of music. But guess what? He's lost. We know choir directors can be lost, don't we? <laughs> How's all that happen? I don't know, but it does. 
Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. And I'll say to them, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. But Lord, we preached in your name. Depart from me. We prophesied in your name. Depart from me. We did miracles in your name, God. Depart from me. I never knew you. When Isaiah sees God, he sees himself in a whole new light. And notice he sees the people around him in a whole new light. What what changed? Because he saw God. If we really saw God on his throne, who wins the race today or who wins NFL games today wouldn't matter a hill of beans. Some of you are looking at your watch thinking, are we going to beat the Methodists down the parkway today for lunch? Guess what? If we really got a vision of the glory of God on His throne, it wouldn't matter so much of what we're investing in. If we caught a fresh glimpse of the glory of God and we saw ourselves in light of that, you know what? A lot of what we're consumed with in life would not matter one iota. Remember what Paul said in Philippians 3? Paul was so proud about his resume, his background. I was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee, blameless. But those things that were gained to me, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. He went on to describe them as dung, refuse. Didn't matter. Folks, what are we consumed with? What does it matter? You catch a vision of God, everything changes. The way Isaiah saw himself changed. How do you see yourself? The way Isaiah saw others changed. How do you see others? We need to see ourselves and others as people who need redemption. A lot of people in the world say, you know what man needs? Man just needs more education. Tax breaks. Hey, all that's good, isn't it? I'm for all that. But you know the basic need of mankind? The basic need of mankind is redemption. We need reconciliation with God. We need to get right with God. Why? Because people are lost and they're dying and they're going to hell. Now notice Isaiah's lips were touched and cleansed. Why the lips? Why not the heart? Well, Isaiah had mentioned unclean lips, but Jesus said what comes out of the mouth indicates what's in the heart. And so to have his lips cleaned, uh, cleansed was a symbol that his heart was cleansed. And, and notice that the coal came from off the altar. Don't you know that had to hurt? That had to burn. It's a symbol that atonement, that cleansing always involves suffering and pain. Jesus suffered and died and bled on Calvary's cross. Then there's the burning, the purification. When God atoned for our sin through Jesus Christ, it was painful but it was also purifying. In other words, salvation leaves you different. Isaiah was made clean before God when he came clean to God. That's what some in here need today perhaps. They need to come clean so they can be made clean. Third thing I want you to see. An unreserved availability for service. Look with me verses 8 and 9. 
And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. When Isaiah saw God and saw himself and he was cleansed and changed, became a saved man, what did he say? Did Isaiah say, Here am I, Lord, send her. Here am I, Lord, send him. No. Here am I, Lord, send me. What happens? What what tends to happen when somebody is really converted and changed? You take a man whom God gets a hold of and saves, and God just turns that man all the way around. What's that man want to do? That man wants to do whatever God wants him to do. You take people who want to make deals with God and negotiate with God and say, God, first off, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? I I might obey you. I might not. I might serve you. I might not. You got to wonder if such a man, such a woman has ever seen God and been changed in the first place. You remember what Jesus said about that, don't you? Luke 9, a guy came running up to him. I'll follow you, Lord, wherever you're going. Jesus said, you better count the cost. Because foxes have holes in the ground, dens and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his uh, head. Another man came running up to Jesus, I'll follow you, I'll do anything you want me to do. First of all though, let me go home and bury the dead. What he was saying essentially, let me go home until my parents and family die, they live out their years, and all of my human ties and relationships are broken, and then I'll come and think about following you. Jesus said, oh no, you let the dead bury the dead. Nobody who puts his hand to the plow and so much as even looks to the left or the right is fit for service in the kingdom of heaven. You know what Isaiah did? Isaiah signed the contract before it was even typed out. I think of Paul in Acts 9. Greatest persecutor of the church came, became the greatest propagator of the faith. The early church didn't even want to worship with Paul. They thought Barnabas had to come in and say, No, no, he's really a changed man now. He's really saved. And Paul was ready to do whatever. Jesus said in Acts 1, When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be my witnesses. Folks, if we're not going, if we're not serving, if we're not telling, there's something deeply wrong at the core of our Christianity. There's something unbiblical at the core of our Christianity. If we think all of this that God has done for us is just for me and I sit back and pull it all into my lap and enjoy it and forget about the lost and forget about the world around me, we don't even have a biblical attitude. Isaiah was told that people weren't going to listen to him, but he was to go anyway. God had a plan and a purpose in all this. Sounds like the parable of the soils, doesn't it? Jesus talked about the farmer, hard soil that doesn't receive the seeds, shallow. Then the soil with the weeds and thorns, and then the good soil that produces fruit. As we go, some listen, some won't, but we sow the seed anyway. 1 Corinthians Three, Paul said, one plants, another waters, but it's God that gives the increase. 
God's in charge of the harvest. We're just supposed to go and do what God tells us to do. Leave the results to Him. I mentioned a moment ago about 9-11. I still remember the events of 9-11 very vividly. I was a chauffeur that day for our senior adults. We had taken a trip to Blowing Rock. Somehow word, we were on the van, but word got to, I guess somebody called somebody's cell phone. Those cell phones always going off. None this morning though yet. We found out about what was going on and, and all those shops going up and down both sides of the road and blowing rock. I'll never forget, I guess while the senior adult ladies were shopping, me and Ed Buckner, we turned into a store that sells oriental carpets. And you walk in the door and they, on the left they had them stacked up along the wall about waist high. And the owners of that shop had put an old TV up on top of those carpets and run the rabbit ears up. And me and Ed, along with about 50 other people in that shop, were sitting there glued to the TV watching what was going on. Couldn't believe our eyes. Defining moment for the country. Isaiah 6, a defining moment for Isaiah. Folks, in a different kind of way this week, I I hope we all have had a defining moment. Seeing that we don't exist for ourselves. We're to have the mindset of Jesus in Luke 19.10. The scripture says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Have we got a glimpse? Have we ever gotten a glimpse of the glory of God, the majesty of God? And in light of that, seeing our condition and the depths from which God saved us. And then flowing out of that, a surrendered life that says, Here am I, Lord. Send me. I may be talking to somebody this morning. You're going through some circumstances in your life that are beyond your control. Maybe you're going through something in your life you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. You know, the very thing we curse the most in our life may be the very thing that God's going to use the most because He's going to use that to drive us to our knees in dependency on Him. Romans 8.28 says, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Do we believe that? doesn't say that everything's good. There's some bad things, evil things out there. But the Bible says for those who love God and are called according to His purpose, those who know Him, God is even able to take the bad things in your life and work together for good. You may be one of those fretting today. Worried. Worried sick about everything. Maybe this morning you need to roll those cares over on God and say, God help me to see that You're still very much on your throne and you're in charge. And I need your help. It may be somebody else here in here this morning has never really come to terms with your sinfulness. You think, hey, I'm pretty good. You know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to stand before God one day and God's going to say, what a good little boy or girl you are. Come on into my heaven. It's not going to work that way. You need to come to the end of yourself today and see your uncleanness. Woe is me, I'm undone. 
I'm done for. I'm a dead dog. And if I die in this condition, I'm going to go out into a Christless eternity. Oh, you may be religious. You may be a church member. You may have been baptized or confirmed. But you're as lost as any man out on the street who you would point to and say there's a lost man. You're just as lost. I would ask, I would ask you if you suspect that about... If God's pointing out to you that you've never come to the end of yourself, say, oh God, bring me to the end of myself. Convert my soul. If you've taken care of all that, God's done that work of grace in your heart. You've enjoyed redemption. You need to also see mission. Redemption and mission go together. Sometimes we want redemption without mission. But in the scripture it doesn't work that way. Election has always been for service in the word of God. God takes a saved man, sends him out so lost men can hear and they too can be saved. And maybe this morning you need to say, God, I need to wake up to your calling. There needs to be a defining moment in my life that I get busy about your business. Would you stand please? Our hymn of invitation will be on the screens behind me. If you want to talk more about conversion, pastor, I need to... My sin needs to be dealt with. I, I need Christ. Pray with me. Talk with me. I'll be down front. Other staff members will. If there's some things in your life you've been trying to settle and you need to roll those over on God who's still on His throne this morning. Altar's open. Others right there in the privacy of your seat say, Oh God, give me a heart like yours. I want your heart, your eyes, your ears. I want to have that unreserved availability to you. Here am I, Lord. Send me. You do business with God right there where you're standing. Let's sing together.